There we go. All right. Good morning. How is everyone doing today? It is good to be together. I have the opportunity to teach Ben's class today because Ben is filling in at Willette this morning. And so I was not necessarily expecting to fill in because I was in Kentucky speaking Friday night on a lectureship. Then I spoke again yesterday. And so I got home last night and I was thinking, well, what am I going to teach? And I thought, why don't I just teach what I taught in Kentucky? So uh, that's what we're going to do. The topic that they assigned me on the lectureship was different, not less. Now, I'm going to read you the rationale they had behind this, and then we will get into the topic. It says, the words different, not less, are treated by the autism community as a widely recognized mantra as to what autistic individuals have to offer the world. Children and adults with autism look at the world differently. With that in mind, Christians are to look at the world differently, live in the world differently, be different examples to the world. Although we may be looked at by some as less because of our difference and our stand for the truth, Christians still have a lot to offer the world. And so that was my assignment, that we're different, not less. Now, with that in mind, I want us to go through some things this morning. I want us to appreciate first that when we are born, we're not different. In the beginning, we are all the same. My daughter, Lauren, is pregnant. In October, she and Casey are going to be new parents, and Sherry and I are going to have a new granddaughter. Her name is Katrina. And she is going to be precious and pure and innocent. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus' disciples came to him wanting to know the answer to the question, Lord, who's the greatest in your kingdom? As is oftentimes the case with mankind, we want to push ourselves forward. Our pride gets the best of us and we get into trouble. But the text says to answer the question, Jesus took a little child and he set him in his lap, set him in the midst of them. I want you to consider the contrast. They're arguing, Lord, who's the greatest? Which one of us is going to be the highest up in your kingdom? And he sits a child there. And in Matthew 18, 3, he says, Verily I say unto you, that is, assuredly I'm saying, except you be converted, you change yourselves and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, we could talk a lot about humility and pride, but Jesus is making an important point here about the innocence of a child, about the lack of sin in a child. Now, Calvinism, which is a doctrine that is held by most denominations, Calvinism teaches that babies inherit the sin of their parents, that Adam's sin passes down to each child so that they are born in sin. It's a doctrine called original sin. Now, the Bible doesn't teach that. Ezekiel 18 and verse 20 says, The soul that sins, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the, shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Katrina, when she is born, she's going to be pure and innocent, but she won't be the only one. Every child in that hospital 
is going to be pure and innocent. Now, she'll be the prettiest one, but <laughs> they're all going to be pure and innocent. Now, what's my point? The point is we're talking about being different, but at birth, we're all the same. Now, here is the second point, and that is when we reach the age of accountability, we're all the same. Now, I don't mean by that that we all reach the age of accountability at the same age, because that is not true. But if you think about that little baby's parents, they take him home from the hospital, and they strap him in that brand new car seat, and they put him in the brand new minivan that they purchased for their growing family, and then they begin this new routine of hauling diaper bags and plate pins and baby formula, and it all goes quickly. And pretty soon, they're crawling, the kids, not the parents, and then they're walking, and then they're talking, and then they're in kindergarten, and the years go by so quickly. I remember when the kids are little, you're thinking, this is going to go on forever. And when they're grown and out of the house, you're thinking, I can't believe that happened so fast. It is just startling. But barring some medical problem, some mental problem, that child is going to reach an age of mental accountability, mental maturity. What age that is, it varies, probably somewhere between 10 and 14. And that child is going to reach an age where they become accountable to God, and they're not innocent. They're going to sin. And the consequences of that sin are the same for everybody. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all do it. We all have the same consequences. What's my point? We're talking about being different, but we're all the same in that way. Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death. That's talking about hell. That is, when we sin, we separate ourselves from God. It's Revelation 14 and verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they shall have no rest day or night. Some people, most people don't even know about that, but it doesn't change the fact that it's still applicable. And so what happens is you come into adulthood, and we're talking about being different when, when we're born or the same. When we reach the age of accountability, we're the same. But then we get to young adulthood, and we all face the same temptations. We're the same in this way. See, so far we're all the same. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. Now, that doesn't mean every exact temptation, but we're all going to face the same general things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, 1 John chapter 2. And so a young man, I'm just going to call him Dusty. A young man named Dusty meets a young lady. He's going to face the same temptation that other men are facing. And so Dusty and his girlfriend end up having sex together. And she gets pregnant. And they decide they're going to have an abortion. They don't want the responsibility of a child. They don't want to be narrow-minded. Dusty's been raised to think that you know, religion doesn't matter, and, you know, a woman's, it's her right because it's her body after all. That's the way he's been brought up to think. And so they do this. He moves on with life. Dusty gets a job, and he tells some lies to further his job, and he goes out to drink and to fit in with his coworkers. Dusty finishes college, and he gets his first real job. 
and he goes to fill out the paperwork for his first real job, and he notices that the paperwork states that the company supports gay marriage and that they offer the fullest of benefits for the employee's homosexual partners. And Dusty's thankful to be working for a company that cares about everybody. He's been raised to think you should care about everybody and all of those other things, that's a person's personal business. He's living a life just like everybody else. What's my point? He's not different, but he knows something is missing inside. He's just not sure what it is. And so one day at work, one of Dusty's co-workers comes to him and asks him, would you like to have a Bible study? And Dusty says, a Bible study? I don't think so. So Dusty goes home, and he keeps mulling it over in his mind, and he thinks, you know, maybe I'm, I'm missing something. I, you know, I feel empty inside. And so Dusty gets out his computer. Out of curiosity, he logs on to YouTube, and imagine this, but he finds the Gospel Broadcasting Network, and he finds a lesson about hell, and he listens to it, and it scares him. And he listens to another program, and it talks about the fact that a person needs to hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. And for the next few days, it's heavy on his mind. And so one day before lunch, he catches his co-worker, and he says, you know, I've been thinking about that Bible study. I think that I would be interested if you're still willing. And so the next night after work, they meet, and they study for two hours. And his friend, we'll just call him, we'll call him Christian. Christian teaches Dusty about sin, and they talk some more about the consequences of sin, hell. And then he tells him about Jesus. And he tells him about how Jesus died so he doesn't have to go there. So hell doesn't sound like such bad news when you know the remedy. And then he teaches him about the steps of the plan of salvation. And Christian, this friend of his, gets to repentance. And when he gets to talking about repentance, he explains this one in great detail. He begins by giving him the definition of repentance. That is, it's a change of mind produced by godly sorrow that results in a reformation of life. That's here in the lower left. And then he breaks it down. He talks about four things involved in repentance. He talks about remorse, 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow produces repentance. That is, remorse. You're sorry for what you've done, and that causes you to want to repent. And then he talks about the word reversal, four R's of repentance, the reversal. This is actually the repentance because this new information that's produced this godly sorrow changes you to, causes you to reverse your thinking. This is the change of mind we're talking about. This is actually repentance. And so the remorse causes him to have a change of mind, which is repentance. Thirdly, you've got the reformation of life. This is the result of repentance. After you change your mind, as a result of that, you change your life. The Bible calls this fruits of repentance. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8 uh, John the Baptist told the Jews, you need to bring forth fruits of repentance. That is, if you've changed your mind, you need to change your life. And then he talks to him about restitution. 
Restitution is paying back that which you have taken wrongly, undoing the bad that you have done. Now somebody says, what does that have to do with repentance? It's the natural response to repentance. That is, if you are truly sorry and you've truly changed your mind, you want to fix it if you can. If you've stolen somebody's money, you want to fix it. You want to give it back. You're not going to say, I truly have sorrow for stealing, and I've truly changed my mind, but I'm going to keep that money. See, it doesn't work like that. Restitution is the natural response. If a person doesn't do restitution, you wonder about their sorrow, and you wonder about their change of mind because something's not right. Then Christian spends a good deal of time telling Dusty about baptism. And he talks about the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. He talks about the fact that that's where we're washed in the blood of Jesus, Romans 6, 3 and 4. He explains that that's where a man gets into Christ, Galatians 3.27. And Dusty goes home that night, and he's thinking very seriously about the things that they've studied. He's, he's contemplating these things. But the part that's really getting him is the repentance, the changing because he's always been the same as everybody else. But now he's going to have to be different. What are my friends going to think of me? What's my girlfriend going to think of me? She's going to think I've lost my mind. What are my parents going to think of me? My dad's never had any use for religion. My dad's going to think I'm, I'm weak. He's going to think I'm some kind of pansy going to, to be, you know, going to church. For the next few days... Dusty fights it, pushes it down in his mind. He goes back to work. He tries to be normal. But this new knowledge is consuming him. At night, he goes to bed, and he thinks about what it would mean to die lost. And the acid is churning in his stomach quite literally. But that repentance thing, ugh, the repentance is getting him. Finally, Dusty can't take it anymore. And he calls Christian and he says, I want to be baptized. Can we do it right now? And so they meet at the building. It's 10 o'clock at night. And Christian has one of the elders meet them up there to unlock the building. And Dusty changes clothes. Christian puts on the waiters. And he takes his confession. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I do. I know that you do. And based on that confession... I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the remission of sins. And Dusty comes up out of the water. Now he's different. Now he's different. Why? Why is he different now? Well, he's different because of Romans 6, 3, and 4. As many of you as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into his death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. He's different because he's got a new life now. He's different because of 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you have been washed. You've been sanctified. 
You've been justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. He's different now because he doesn't do those things he used to do. He used to be a thief, not a thief anymore. He's different. He's different because he's been washed. He's been sanctified. He is different. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, And he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Dusty is different now because he's holy. And he wants to live a holy life. And so the next day, Dusty goes back to work, but now he's different. And so his boss asked him to adjust some figures, cover up some things that he's done it a lot of times before. And this time, Dusty explains he can't do that anymore. And it doesn't go very well. At the end of the day, his co-workers invite him to go with them to their favorite club for dancing and drinks. And he explains that he, he can't do that. And he explains why. It doesn't go very well either. But you see, Dusty's different now. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 4 says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime when we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness and revelry and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. And now listen to verse 4. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them to the same speaking evil of you. What does that mean? When you obey the gospel... Your old friends don't get it. They, they think it's strange that you don't run with them and do these same things and go to the club and drink and dance and they speak evil of you. And so his friends, they run him down behind his back and they're like, what is up with Dusty? I don't know what's happened to him. He's weird now. He thinks he's better than us. He's got religion. And then they, they kind of mock him to his face. Dusty leaves work. And he goes to his girlfriend's house and he explains about his baptism and he says, I'd like to share with you what I learned. She is not interested and it hurts him. And he explains that their relationship can't be the same as it was before because the sexual part can't continue. Their recreation is going to have to change. They can't go to the club and they can't do the dancing they did. And so... The conversation ends with his girlfriend saying, I got to do some thinking. And he leaves. And so he goes on to his parents' house. He thinks, I might as well go ahead and deal with all of this tonight. I'm not even going to tell you how that story goes, but it didn't go well. But I'll tell you this. If members of the church don't reach out and befriend Dusty right now, he's likely not going to make it. Because he's going to be like Luke chapter 8, the seed that took root and it started to grow, but because it didn't have roots, it died. So Dusty begins attending worship services, and he starts studying his Bible and praying and giving and fellowshipping Christians. And you see, now he's different. He's been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20. He can't be conformed to this world He's been transformed, Romans 12 and verse 2. He's seeking to pre present his body as a living sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, they gave dead sacrifices. That is, they would sacrifice an animal, but we don't do that in the New Testament. Now we give a living sacrifice. That is, my life is a sacrifice. I'm going to live 
sacrificing. Oh boy, we are in big trouble. That's the five minute bell. Let me move on to the next point. Brethren, being different is difficult. It is difficult. I want to read you a clip from an article that I ran across last week. It's by a man named Gabriel Andricut. It's entitled, is the, in, in the U.S., are Christians really different from secular culture? And he says, I've clipped a lot of this out just to get to the meat of it. He says, is there a clear line of demarcation between Christianity and the secular culture? In a world in which the line which separates Christianity from secular culture is blurred and undefinable, how is it possible to distinguish between the two? Practically, the answer is no. There is almost nothing that differentiates Christianity from the secular culture today. Brethren, it makes me sad to say, but frequently, I'm afraid he's right. Because we don't like to be different. I obeyed the gospel at a young age. Forgive me if I've told you this story before, but I obeyed the gospel at a young age, and for a few years I was very faithful. But when I got into my late teens and my early 20s, I really didn't like to be different. Those are hard years to be different. Think about that with regard to our teens and our young adults. It's hard to be different when you're that age. And so I started making some compromises so that I could seek to blend in. One way I made a compromise was the way that I talked. And so I worked in the airport at the time, and the people that worked there, they used foul language like I cannot. You think of the worst cuss word that you can think of, and I would hear it 50 times in one night, and I am not exaggerating you, sometimes multiple times in a sentence. Didn't even make sense half the time, but it was there. Well, if you didn't talk that way, you really stood out. So I was raised not to talk that way, so I started using substitute terms, euphemisms, if you will. I would make the substitute terms as crude as I thought I could without actually saying the four-letter words. One day we're in the break room, and there was a denominational fellow in there, and he mentioned the fact that everybody around here cussed like sailors. And I spoke up and said, I don't. And the response shocked me because they said, yes, you do. I said, no, I don't. They said, we have heard you. And it kind of stunned me because I thought I so bad didn't want to be different. I, I worked so hard to blend in that I had totally succeeded. We don't like to be different. Sometimes congregations don't like to be different. Sometimes preachers don't like to be different. We worry what our friends are going to think if they come and, and we're different. We worry that they're going to be offended if they hear something that's, that's different. It bothered the Lord's disciples when he preached, and they said, Lord, don't you know you're offending the Pharisees? Matthew 15, 12. Jesus understood that we're different. Brethren, it is hard being different, and I want you to appreciate with me it is only getting harder. When I joined the, the Air Force a little over 30 years ago, it was against the, UM, uh, the UCMJ, the Uniform Co Code of Military Justice, to be a homosexual. It was against military law to be a homosexual. If you were in, you would be discharged. You could be prosecuted. 
you might get charged with what they called fraudulent enlistment. Fast forward to 2022. The Air Force now separates, or they now celebrate Pride Month. If you go during June, they will have rainbow cakes, and they celebrate being a homosexual. This is a definition of Pride Month. I didn't know what all it entailed, so uh, I looked it up. When, my, kid, when uh, my kids were growing up, we enjoyed taking them to Disney World. We viewed it as a family-friendly environment. Fast forward to 2022. In connection with Pride Month, Disney has just released last month Lightyear. This is the latest addition to the Toy Story franchise, and it features a same-sex couple. This is actually the screenshot sharing a kiss on the screen. I didn't put the part up where they're kissing, but in a recent meeting about what's going on at Disney, this is Carrie Burke, the president of Disney's General Entertainment, and she said, I'm going to summarize it because the bell just rang, she said it used to be that we would put these things in subtly, but she said now, by the end of the year, it is Disney's intention to have, quote, many, many, many lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, and asexual characters in its films and programs. By the end of the year, she said, half of Disney's characters will be either LGBTQIA, this keeps getting longer and longer, doesn't it, or racially diverse. She says, see the red part at the bottom, I'm here as a mother of two queer children, actually. Burke said, she has one transgender child and one pansexual child. I don't even know what that is. I think if she has a transgender child and a pansexual child, that says more about her than it does about the children. And they go on to say this, in the past we had to sneak it in, but she said now nobody even minds. We don't have to sneak it in anymore. Now, I would go on and show you some more of this if I had time, but the point that I'm making is, it's getting harder to be different. In 1988, when I was in high school, 11% of the country said that gay marriage was okay. And I lived in a conservative area. It, it was smaller than this. In 2021, over 70%. I'm telling you, it's getting harder to be different. I'll save the rest of this lesson, and we'll do it later, because this is important stuff. This is the world our kids are growing up in. But thank you very much. I appreciate your attention.